0: This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Let me encourage you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 15. Let me start out this morning uh, with a story and, um, and share that with you um, as, we, as we get going this morning. Um, about things that happened in my life, um, when I was a senior in high school, the the ages my, in my life when I was sixteen, seventeen, especially those couple years in my life, that was a time in my life when God took this lump of clay and really began to mold and form me into who I would become. Those were those were the really impressionable years in my life when I was wide open to God, and God did some things in me that I never expected, didn't necessarily understand at the time, but would make me the person, the the husband, the father, uh, the the pastor, uh, the friend that I am today, a lot of what you see Sunday after Sunday, when you come here, and not so much what you see, because what you see is getting old and decrepit, but a lot, of what, <laughs> a lot of what you hear is a result of what happened in my life when I was a teenager. It wasn't time in my life that was spent on, on, on sowing wild oats. God grabbed a hold of me and began to do things in me, and, and it was amazing what I watched God do. And now I look back on it and I say, okay, God, now I understand why you did this. When I was a senior, my, my parents, my dad um, got out of the Marine Corps when I was 17, just before my senior year, went right into Bible college as a freshman. I mean, I'm the senior in high school. My dad's a freshman in college, all right? And uh, he was going full-time to college. He was working a part-time job uh, at, at night at a drugstore. Uh, my mom was working a full-time job as well, and together with those kind of one-and-a-half incomes, they were doing the best they could to support a family of five children. And, uh, and, and I knew, you know, when you get to be 16, 17, you're watching your mom dad struggle to make ends meet. I knew, you know, at that point in time in my life, I wanted some of the things in life. You know, I wanted, I wanted a car. I wanted to be able to go out and take girls out on dates. And, and I wanted, you know, to buy some decent clothes. And I, I really liked, you know, I wanted to buy some of those newfangled. Uh, they came out with in 1972, 73. Remember? Some of you, my remember the plaid bell-bottom pants? I wanted some of those. And, uh, you know, and, and the big shoes with the platform soles. Remember those? I wanted some of those. Well, in order to get that kind of stuff, because mom and dad weren't going to buy those kinds of things, I had to get a job. Started in a brand-new high school, had never been there before because we just moved to this place, and, and so my senior year was in a new school, and I signed up. Didn't have a whole lot of classes to take to graduate, so I signed up for distributive education. Anybody ever t- remember DE, distributive education? There's a class that teaches you how to work in the workplace, especially in retail and those kinds of things. So I got, was in his class, and my DE teacher, I, you know, I said, I need a job, so he said, hey, I got, the, I got a great job for you. He said, "Right," and it was right next door to the high school, um, uh, it, it was uh, a hardware store, just a locally owned hardware store right there, so I could actually, if the schedule worked out, right, go to school, get out of school, and I got out of school right after lunch and, and, uh, and, and go over didn't have to have a car, went right to work, and, uh, and I could do that. And the great thing about this hardware store job was it paid about a dollar and 10 cents an hour more than minimum wage. It paid $2.75 an hour, all right? That was big time bucks back then when you're 17 years old. And so I went in for the interview, met the manager, sat down. I liked him. I liked the idea of learning the hardware business, you know, and, and the nuts and bolts and all that kind of thing. And he seemed to be happy with me, offers me the job. And I said, there's just one thing that you need to understand about me before you hire me on. And I didn't go into all the details, but it was a time in my life when, I mean, I was very, very receptive to what God was doing in my life. Jesus Christ was, and my relationship with him was paramount in my life. And as a 17-year-old student, I, I said to this gentleman, I said, I can't work on Sundays. Well, they were open on Sundays. I said, I can't do that. I go to church on Sundays. That's the most important thing in my life right now. And he just, matter of factly, he wasn't upset, but he just said, well, if you can't work some Sundays, you don't have to work every Sunday, but if you can't work some Sundays, I can't use you. And I said, well, then I'm sorry. I said, don't hire me because I'm going to be in church on Sundays. Went back to school the next day, told my DE teacher, and he just looked at me like, what? You know, we just sang about, tells me a different story. I told my DE teacher a different story than he had ever heard before. He said, Well, he said, I know another job, another um, business that's looking for somebody. He said, Go to the Kenny shoe store, which was up the road about two miles from my house. And he said, go there and find Mr. Pertle. He's the manager there and, and, and he's a really great guy. He's hired some of our students before and he's looking for somebody. So I went up, saw Mr. Pertle, fit out the application, had the interview. Mr. Pertle, who by the way was a Christian man, and, and he hired me and uh, and I started working there. The great thing about Kenny Shoes is they were closed on Sunday, so I didn't have to worry about that conflict in my life. Made a dollar and ten cents an hour less than I would have made at the hardware store, a buck sixty five. I remember, though, when I got that 10-cent-an-hour raise, you know, and ooh I made a whole $2 more a week or something, and I was excited about that. Worked at Kenny Shoes, and my whole senior year of high school, I spent in the shoe business, learning how to sell shoes and and, and fit people's, you know, ma'am, you really are a size eight. I'm sorry you've been wearing a size six your whole life, but it really says eight. And, uh, you know, doing all that kind of thing, I've had a bunch of those, and, um, what we didn't look forward to was Friday afternoons when the construction workers were coming in with their worn-out boots that they have been wearing all and pull them off, and, and uh, that, was, that was trouble. Um, but I spent that whole year learning that business, you know, and, and making a little bit of money to do the things I wanted to do. Fast forward three years. I'm a junior in college now, and once again, I'm unemployed, and once again, I need a job, and, and as fate would have it, Uh, My mom worked downtown at a podiatrist's office, and one of the doctor's patients was in there talking with my mom. She was a receptionist there talking with her, and and, uh, my mom said something to her about my my son's looking for a job. Well, this lady worked at J.C. Penney, and this lady said, you know, the shoe department is looking for, they need some extra help. Tell him to go down there. So I went down to Penny's, which was walking distance from our house, literally just about three blocks away. So tell him to go down there. So I, I went to, uh, to Penny's, did the paperwork, the application, the interview. Because I had experience selling shoes, I, I was, you know, they just, yeah, you got the job. So I started working at J C Penny. Selling shoes, doing what I had learned how to do three years earlier when I was a senior in high school, never knowing I'd ever sell shoes again. But there I was. And that's great how God worked that out, but that's not the big lesson from this whole story. The big lesson is at JCPenney in the shoe department, there was Mr. Davis, there was Mr. Tinsley, a couple old fellas. One was the manager, one was the assistant manager of the department, and then there were three other college students from the same school I went to who worked there, three young ladies. All three had been, up to that year, had been cheerleaders at the school. You know how it is, cute girls, and, and, and I walk in, and, there, and I knew these girls worked there because I had been a customer there before, and, and so I was kind of excited I get to work with these girls, and, um, and one of them happened to be a young lady by the name of Gail, now some of you know where this is going. <laughs> Wasn't long before Gail asked me out on our first date. <laughs> True story. You can ask her, but she will tell you she was smitten by my blue eyes, you know. a personality, not so great, but the blue <laughs> eyes was. And, uh, and so she, and, and then about a year later or so, a little bit, a year and a half later, uh, we were married, and by the way, I asked her to marry me it wasn't the other way around. I, I find that amazing that story as I look back on it and and see what God was doing there. And here we are thirty nine years later, and I met her in a shoe department because listen, because I turned down a job when I was seventeen. In a hardware store. God didn't want me learning the hardware business. God wanted me learning the shoe business because God knew three years later that's where my wife would be. Really, I believe that with all my heart. God closed the door to the hardware job because I put Him before the job when I was 17 so that when I was 20, He made sure I would meet my future wife. You know, I didn't have a clue. I didn't, when I turned down that hardware job, I didn't say, no thanks, I can't work here because my future wife is going to be in a JCPenney store in a city I had never been. I didn't know any of that. It was just a matter of trusting in God with some things in my life. But it makes me, it makes so much sense to me now that God, as a 17-year-old senior in high school, was directing The steps of my life. You know, all of us who are believers in Christ have asked God some questions like, Oh, God, how do I know if this is what you want me to do? God, who should I listen to as I'm trying to make these decisions in my life? What if God closes the door that I thought was the right one? Where do I go next? Today, in these three stories we're going to see, it's all one story, but three sections in Acts is about choosing the direction that God has intended. And he does so for his missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. These three stories, he opens doors and he closes doors. And it's about the way, I want you to see, it's about the way he guides and directs us to follow his plan for our lives. If you're taking notes, jot this one down. This is number one. Sometimes God divides So that he can multiply. Sometimes God divides so that he can multiply. Look with me at verse 36 in chapter 15. After some time had passed, remember last week Paul and Barnabas had gone back up to the city of Antioch and the church there and been ministering there for a while. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, Let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. They've already been on their first missionary journey. Now they want to go back to those churches that have been established and check on on them and see how they're doing and encouraging them. Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take along John Mark. Now you remember from previous times when they went on this journey, this young man, John Mark, went with them For whatever reason, homesick, Miss Mama's cooking, got scared because of the persecution. We don't know why, but this young fella said, I'm going home, I can't handle this. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. There was such a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Well, then Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers, by the leaders of the church at Antioch, just as it had happened in chapter 13. They gathered them together, and as as Steve was talking about, commissioned them to go out on this trip. They commended them to the grace of God. He, Paul, traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's stop there. So often, I, I, you know, you and I can read this story. Paul and Barnabas, this team breaks up. They go two different directions, and we can read this, and we'll ask the question: So, who was right and who was wrong? Paul didn't see Mark's potential. Barnabas did. And we know that later on, Mark was a valuable aid to Paul. He would write in, in, in one of his epistles, I think it's 2 Timothy, hey, ask Mark to bring, when he comes to visit me, ask him to bring my cloak because I'm cold in this prison cell. Mark was, he, he, he enjoyed Mark's ministry, appreciated what Mark had to offer. Barnabas, on the other hand, probably let his family ties with Mark, their cousins, cloud the reality of Mark's immaturity. But there doesn't always have to be, what I want us to see in this story, doesn't always have to be a right and wrong. doesn't mean that Paul was right, Barnabas was wrong. Some people say so. Or that Barnabas was right and Paul was wrong. If there is a disagreement, by the way, and their disagreement was sharp. If it is a disagreement, doesn't mean that there has to be hatred. Later on, Paul's talking about Barnabas and he writes about Barnabas and commends Barnabas and talks about what a great guy he is. There's no hatred here. I'm so tired, by the way, of hearing from the world that if you disagree, if I disagree with your position or your lifestyle, that I must hate you. I'm so sick of that. Just because I don't agree doesn't mean I hate. That's bogus. And Paul and Barnabas parted, but they didn't part with hatred. Part of their division was about vision. I believe it was God's plan for them to split up. Part of it was that Paul knew that this was going to be just as hard a time, maybe even tougher as it was in the first trip when Mark bailed out on them. And Paul just said, I'm not willing to take the risks on this guy. Barnabas, on the other hand, we know about him from earlier in Acts. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He was an encourager. He he was the guy that was always looking to give somebody else a second chance, you know? And in fact, he had done so with Paul, who then was known as, as Saul right after he became a Christian and he came to Jerusalem. You remember the story? And the apostles wanted nothing to do with Saul, they didn't trust him at all. They were scared of him. Who was it that brought Saul? to the apostles and introduced them and said, hey, this guy's okay, he's one of us. It was Barnabas who risked went out on the limb and did that. So he saw the potential in young Mark, but because of this disagreement, they go two separate ways. Is that bad? Well, now there are, instead of one missionary team, there are two. Now instead of two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, now there's four. Paul and Bar- Paul and or excuse me Barnabas and Mark and Paul and Silas now potentially twice as much evangelism twice as much of discipleship will take place you know sometimes god divides so that he can multiply Barnabas took Mark Went to the island of Cyprus to do ministry and to do missions. Paul chose a man by the name of Silas, who, by the way, was a good, wise choice. How do you know that? Well, we know that Silas was a leader in Jerusalem. He was one of the men that carried the letter from last week to the church in Antioch. He was a Roman citizen, Acts 16 tells us, which gave him protection from the by the government. He was a prophet, Acts 15 says, which means he was a, a, a gifted Uh, speaker of the Word of God. He was respected by the church leaders in Antioch, and when Paul said, I want to choose Silas to go with me, the leader said, let's gather around and pray and commend you on in the grace of God. We also know that he was skilled in the Greek language because later he would take, Peter would sit down with him to write out his first letter to the churches. First Peter... Who wrote those words? It wasn't Peter, it was Silas. And he says so at the end. Silas is the one that wrote all this down. So he was, a, he was gifted or, or educated in the Greek language more, than, more so probably than Peter. See, God had this man Silas ready to accompany Paul and be valuable as a missionary. We're gonna see him here in a couple of weeks in the jail cell with Paul singing praises. God sometimes divides so that others can be part of his plan. And some of you small group leaders know what I'm talking about. I, I, I hear small groups, and, and, and especially it seems to be more the women folk than the men folk, but your group grows, and you get to be about 12 or 15, and, and we say, okay, it's time for you guys to divide your group and start a new. Oh, we can't. We just love each other so much. God divides often so that he can multiply, all right? Point number two, let's keep on reading. Verse 1, chapter 16. Then he went to um, Derby. Paul did. He went to Derby and to Lystra, cities where they had been before. And there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers, the Christians at Lystra and Iconium, spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles in that letter last week to Antioch and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Point number two, sometimes we must give up before we can grow. Sometimes we must give up before we can grow. And there's two principles or two illustrations of this principle in these verses. The first illustration is Timothy. Now, without Mark going along, there's Paul and Silas. Silas is probably a little bit older too. Without Mark, there's nobody from the younger generation going with Paul for him to mentor. And that was an important thing to Paul. He was always investing his life and passion for the loss and for the church in those who would come up and succeed him, the younger guys. But in Lystra was a young man, probably maybe around 30 years old, young man named Timothy. And so after inviting Timothy to join him and Silas, he says, okay, Timothy, we're going and we're going to go back through these churches and we're probably going to take the gospel in places it's never been before. We think you got the stuff to go with us. And Timothy says, I want to go. And he says, okay, first thing we got to do is you got to get circumcised. Whoa, 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 whoa. You just read a letter that said I don't have to be circumcised. Luke is very, very careful in this passage. You read it with me to explain why Timothy needed to be circumcised. It was not about salvation. It was not, Timothy, you need to do this to become a Christian. The reason you need to be circumcised is because of the Jews who know you. They know your mother was a Jew. By the way, you're Jewish if your mother is a Jew. That makes you Jewish. His father was a Gentile, and probably sometime, you know, when Timothy was born, mama said, I want my son to be circumcised, as is the tradition of the Jews. And dad, a Gentile who did not know God and was not a Jew, said, "Uh uh-uh. No need to put that boy through that. That's unnecessary. So it never, he was never circumcised. Jewish by birth, but had not gone. And and here's what Paul was saying. Timothy, you need to do this because we're going to go, minister in churches where there are Jewish people who know you, know your family. And they will not allow you to come into the synagogue and speak with any kind. They won't respect you. They won't listen to you because they don't see you as one of them. Timothy, this needs to happen. Where's my knife, by the way? So Timothy is is circumcised. He had to make a choice. Do I really want to do this? Do I really want to go and be a missionary? Do I really want to accompany Paul and Silas and and be part of what's happening here that's bigger than me? He had a choice to make, and it was a painful one. Jesus would talk to his disciples. He talked about things like, if anybody's going to follow me, he must deny himself. Remember him saying that? You've got to deny yourself. Jesus talked about, he said, he made a statement, he said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. Jesus made the point, and Paul is following up on this. He told the rich man, remember this? He said, the rich man says, well, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I don't know anyone, any believer, any Christian who has followed the will of God in his or her life who hasn't had to give something up. I know a lot of people who are confronted with God wants me to go this way, but I'm not willing to give this up and have gone the other way and their life has been not what it could have been. they sold out. Sometimes giving up things is costly, sometimes it's painful, but the end result is that God uses us to become fruitful in sharing the gospel. Timothy's the first illustration. The second illustration in this passage is the, are the Gentile believers in the churches. As the missionaries go back to these new churches and they visit, they ha- these churches had a lot of Gentile believers in them. And they took along with them a copy, probably, of the letter that came from the elders and the apostles in the Jerusalem church that we read last week about, here's three things, Gentiles, that you need to do, not to be Christian, but you need to do to be a witness to those around you. Number one, as far as salvation is concerned, the only thing necessary is faith alone in Christ. Don't let anybody ever tell you you've got to jump through any other hoops, you've got to do any other kind of rituals, and that included the circumstances circumcision thing. Don't let anybody tell you that before you can be saved, you got to become a Jew. That's false. That was the first thing in the letter. The second thing in the letter was that sexual immorality of any kind is forbidden for all believers and for all time. The third thing they told them that was in the letter was they weren't to eat meats offered to idols or meats that had been strangled. Why? So as not to offend their Jewish brothers. Two of these three things are about lifestyle changes for the Gentile Christians. These were changes they needed to make, not again, not to be Christian, but to demonstrate Christianity to others. There are some people today, and, I, and I've met them in church, out of church, Christian people today, who've been sold a bill of goods that says, God accepts me just as I am, and that's all that is necessary. Please listen to what I'm going to say. Some of us are older, and we grew up in church, especially at the end of the service, singing the song. Remember the song, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And we came to him just as we were. And that's how God accepts us, just as we. He never says, before you come to me, clean up. He never says to me, before you can come to me, get rid of all the bad stuff in your life. He says, you come to me just as I am, but here's the deal. We don't come to him just as we are and park our car there and leave it. We come to Him just as I am, just as we are, and we put the thing in drive, and the Holy Spirit's there with us, and He takes us to the next stop where God wants us to go, and that means a lot of times I'm leaving what I was behind. There are things that I'm emptying out of my life so that He can replace with better things. We are not parked in one place, we're on a journey that keeps on going. And God's always wanting and here's the deal: God, God wants to take me just as I am, but He wants to do some improvements in me and in you. And if you look around this room, oh well, you don't have to look around this room. Everybody in this room knows all of us. you just, just don't, don't don't think about anybody else but yourself. There's always room for improvement in me. Isn't that true? There's always things that need to get better. There's always places in my life that the Lord needs to get a hold of and change. Whatever I am when I come to Christ, God has improvements in mind for me so that I can reflect Christ. They heard this news, these churches did. They read the letter and it says, Luke says they were strengthened in the faith by the words of that letter. The word strengthened, by the way, The Greek word means they were made solid. They were made firm. And Luke says, and they grew in number because of the the changes that were happening in their lives. Daily they grew. I I wonder if some of the strengthening, by the way, it doesn't say this, I try to sometimes read between the lines and I think, you know, what happened there, what happens sometimes that I see in church. I wonder if they weren't strengthened because those that were just playing games, those were just saying, yeah, 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 I'll follow Jesus, but weren't really serious about it. Probably when they heard these three things, and and especially the things about the things they needed to stop doing, the sexual immorality and so forth, they said, you know what, I'm, I'm not okay with that, and they dropped out. Sometimes that strengthens the church as well. I wonder if that didn't happen. Listen, when God's Word says... To you and me, Rick, put your name in the blank. Here are the changes you need to submit to in order to continue your walk and follow me. We need to go with it. We need to say yes, Lord. By the way, you remember that girl, Gail, I married way back after working together in the shoe department? Um, She married a guy who was called to be a youth pastor. I had a degree in youth ministries, and she was cool with that. Youth pastor, that means we get to go to all the fun places, you know. We moved to California, that means I get to go, and when Rick takes the kids to Disney, we get to go to Disney, you know, and we get to go to the beach parties, get to go to the beach, get to do all the fun things with the youth. But a few years later, I felt the need in my life, something stirring in me to go back to school and get more education, so we moved halfway across the country, and I entered seminary. After seminary, I went back into the youth ministry, but after a couple of years of that, that stirring was going on in my life, and I remember telling her, Gail, I think God's calling me to be a a pastor, meaning the senior, a lead pastor of a church, to get up and preach every week. And I'll never forget her response. Those of you who can remember, I've told the other story before about the first time I told Gail, I love you. You know, that's a tough thing to to get those words out, isn't it, guys? I love you. And it was really tough because when I said those words to her, she looked with, at me with a very stern look on her face and said, don't ever tell me that unless you mean it. Okay. There was no, I love you too stuff. Don't tell me that unless you're serious. I remember that and I said to her, I, I really think God's calling me to change and become senior lead pastor of a church. And, and her response was, oh boy, I can't wait. no her response was, hey, you know what? I didn't marry a pastor. But she let God change her. And now some 28 years later, I hope she's okay with it. <laughs> when God, when we're, you and I are willing to give things up, then God is most able to strengthen and grow us. Point number three. Sometimes God's direction seems to us like a detour. Sometimes God's direction to us seems like a detour. Verse 6. Then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Imagine you're looking at a map of Asia Minor, the modern-day country of Turkey. They went through Phrygia, and they're heading north, and Galatia. And get this. They were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message, the gospel, in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, continuing north, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So by, uh, bypassing Mysia, they came down to Troas. Then they went down to a seacoast city, Troas. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul, a dream, a vision, and in that vision, he saw a Macedonian man standing and pleading with him, saying, cross over the Aegean Sea, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. Now, uh, by the way, for you Bible students, that little word we there, circle that word uh, we. That's That's an important part of the book of Acts. That little word we, because that little word we tells us now somebody else has joined the team. Who would that be? Who's writing this? Luke. Luke. Dr. Luke is sometime previous, after Silas comes aboard and Timothy, now Luke says, I'm on board with the team. It's good to have a doctor go along with you. We're going. He said, We immediately made efforts. Now, the will of God, did I, did I give you the point? I didn't give you the point here. Number three, did I tell you that? Like a detour, God's direction? The will of God for you and me, which includes evangelizing our world. That's why we're the seven twenty 7 prayer for Easter. God wants us to evangelize my world, your world. But it, listen to me, it's got to be directed by the Spirit. And that's because so often, I know me, I, and probably you're no different than me, we're tempted to do what seems logical, what seems obvious, Yet in God's strategy, it's often opposite of what he wants and where he wants us to go. They had left the churches that they had already established. Now they're going into new territory, pioneer missionaries. And they thought, you know, it's it's pretty easy to figure this out. The next place we should go is the Roman province of Asia, not the continent, not China and India. The Roman province of Asia was in kind of central, central east-central, Asia-minor, City of Ephesus is there. It's a Roman province called Asia. It's next on the map. It's the next exit off the interstate. That's probably where we need to go. And we don't know how, but the Holy Spirit, it says here, kept them from going there. Uh, How, we don't know. Maybe it was a circumstance. Maybe the exit was blocked, you know. We don't know. Maybe it was revealed to Silas, who was a prophet. We just don't know, but we do know that they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what to them seemed like... The best choice was not God's choice. So they said, well, we can't go to Asia. Let's keep on going north. Bithynia is the next region, the next state down the interstate. So again, they had that direction. And it says very clearly, the spirit of Jesus did not allow that either. Don't stop here and preach the word. There's two adjacent, two adjacent regions to where they've been. They're thinking, we're here, Lord, it seems to make sense, total sense to us for us to stop here and do some evangelizing and win people to Christ. And the Lord says, no, nope, that's not my strategy. That's not my will. That's not my direction. That's not my guidance for your lives right now. Then in a dream, Paul sees this man from Macedonia across the Aegean Sea in northern Greece, and he pleads with them in this dream, this vision, bring the gospel to us. So in the morning they get up and they're having breakfast and Paul says, by the way, guys, I had a dream last night. I had a vision. This man from Macedonia said, please come here. I think maybe we need to get on a boat, go across the sea. And instead of going east, go west. Instead of going to Asia, go to Europe. And again, they're so sensitive to the spirit, they knew it was the right thing to do, to go left, not right. And we might ask, like we asked about Barnabas and Paul, who was right and who was wrong. We might ask, well, what about the people in Asia? What about the people in Bithynia? Doesn't God care about them, that they hear the gospel? And the answer, of course, is, yes. of course he does. It just wasn't the right time. But we do know this. Later on, he would use Peter and others to take the gospel to Bithynia. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, they're listed. Peter's writing to them. The Christians there. In fact, the Roman governor Pliny, he's not even a Christian, would write in the first century that at the end of the first century, his words were, "Bithynia was filled with Christians." God wanted them, but it wasn't the right time. Paul and Barnabas were not. The, or excuse me. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were to go to Europe instead. We also know that Paul would later go to the city of Ephesus in the province of Asia. We're going to see that in a few weeks. And see, that region evangelized in a very powerful way. God cared. All of us who are Christians, all of us who are Christians, and if I asked you, you would say, yes, that's me. We want to know God's will. I want to know God's direction in my life. And just like these three incidences, these three stories, we're always going to be presented choices. Sometimes we're going to be presented choices like with Paul and Barnabas where there is no right or wrong. It was right, right? for Barnabas to take Mark and go to Cyprus and evangelize that island. It was right for Paul to choose Silas and go on back to Asia Minor and evangelize there. There was no wrong there. We're also prone as Christians to not want to get out of our comfort zones. We're also prone as Christians to, to not be willing to endure the painful choices sometimes, even though they're gonna result in the greatest gains for God's kingdom. And sometimes, like this last incident as we're traveling through, what looks like the obvious choice, what looks like the door is right here might not be God's choice. And if we're not careful, we'll miss his best for us if we're listening to our own heart rather than to his spirit. Hear me. Just because it makes perfect sense to you and to me doesn't mean it's how God wants to guide me. I want you to bow your head with me. As we bow in prayer, I know that there are some here who are right now being faced with important choices and decisions, and what you really, in your life right now, you really want to know, God, what is best for me? God, what is it that you want me to do? I don't want to do what's good. I don't want to do what's better. God, I want to do what's best. And you're facing that choice in your life right now. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. If you would say right now, if your heart is saying, Lord, I'm not sure this decision that's facing me, I'm not sure which is the best way to go in my life, but Lord, I want to be sensitive to your Spirit's leading and to his prompting. Lord, I'll seek your word. I'll seek counsel from godly men and women. Lord, I'll pray Lord, I just want to do the best thing for Christ's sake and for the gospel. If that's your heart, if that's your prayer, would you just slip your hand up in the air? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to come down and talk to you. I'm not going to pat you on the shoulder. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to pray. Lord, that's me. Anybody else, I've seen several hands. God, I'm facing a decision right now, and I need to know which is the right way to go. Lots of hands. I see lots of hands from women, by the way. You guys got it all together, huh? Lord, help me. Father, thanks for these lessons, these principles. I would pray that you would, in our lives, make us, allow us to be so sensitive to your spirit that even though, God, it might seem like a no-brainer, Lord, we want to be sure that it's what you want us to do, that we'll listen to that still, small voice, that will open your word and search it and seek it and and study it, that will get godly counsel from wise Christians who have walked the journey ahead of us, that will pray, and that you will make it sure in our lives, whatever that decision might be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.